0: Today on this special edition of Awaken to Grace, we're going to hear from the student pastor of Preaching Christ Church, Glenn Stewart. He is going to wrap up this great series that we have been in uh, called The Family of God. You know there's over 30 scriptures in the New Testament that talks about one another. They're called the one another scriptures of the Bible, and while there are 30 of them our staff has chosen five for this series for us to study. And today, Pastor Glenn is going to close out this great series with a wonderful sermon called Encourage One Another out of 1 Thessalonians 5. I know you're going to enjoy the teaching from Pastor Glenn on Awakened to Grace. So let's walk through, before we get to the encouraging part, before we get to the one another part, I want us to walk through this text a little bit and understand what he's writing to. So in verse one, it says, now concerning the times and the seasons. What this means is concerning what's going on around us. And boy, do we have a lot going on around us, right? So now we're talking about what's going on around us. Now concerning these times and seasons. Well, I wanted to talk about who I am, times and seasons, what does that mean? So I was able to, to do some research. And it, people who believe in history, so we all have history, but people have three different beliefs in history. The first one is a silical belief. What this means is, and we've all probably heard it, is history repeats itself. Right? We've all heard that history is like a big circle, and every, every so often it repeats itself. And it just keeps going on in a circle. Those people believe that there's really no end. It just keeps going around and around and around, and that's all it does. There's also the atheistic belief in history. What that means is history is just linear. It's a flat line, and what happens happens, and there's no end goal. It just stays where it's at, and we just deal with what happens. And then we have the Christian belief of history, is that everything that happens was a part of God's plan and his purpose. And sometimes we look at situations, and I think in history, we look at situations like World War II, like the Holocaust, like this is just 19th century, or we look back in church history when when people were being martyred for their faith, when Peter was hung on an upside-down cross, when John the Baptist had his head cut off, when all these people in Christian history have been killed and martyred for their faith, we look at all that and say, how is that part of God's purpose? How is all this tragedy that we see the times and the seasons? How is that part of God's purpose? But then we read the effects of what that ha- of what happened when people like that were martyred, thousands in the area came to know Jesus. When there, was, there was this there was this man I can't I forget his name. Um, he was eighty something I believe, and he was. Um, They they come to knock on his door and say, we're taking you to the burning stake for your faith. He was a pastor. And the man said, hold on, let me go pray. And he went and prayed. And then he came out and said, I'm ready. And he said, you know what? You don't even have to tie me up. You don't have to handcuff me. I will walk myself to the post. The courage, the faith. In that time and season, and he humbled himself and walked to the post. And as, they, as and they didn't tie him to the post. He stood there willingly. And as they set the post on fire, he began worshiping God and praying to him. And hundreds and thousands of people came to know Jesus because of that man's faith. So as tragic as it was, that was part of God's purpose. Lives were changed because of it. So the times and the seasons that we are facing today as a Christian is God's purpose. It is his plan to be executed. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that all things, all things work out for those who love Jesus according to his purpose. So we can see that the times and the seas that they were facing here is tragic. The times that we are facing now is tragic, but it's part of God's purpose because all things work out for the good for those who believe and love Jesus. So now we're through the first three words. Let's keep going. <laughs> I'm telling you, i got three hours. i got to speed up. It says, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. What they're referring to, these Christians, because of the times and the seasons that was going on, the people who were being killed and martyred at this moment for their faith, they were wondering, when is Jesus coming back? And today, what do we still talk about? When is Jesus coming back? That is... Everything that we should be excited for as Christians is, when is Jesus coming back? But doesn't the Bible say that no one knows the day or the hour? And I think the reason why no one, and what I've read and what I've studied and what I really believe, is the reason why no one knows the day or the hour is for two reasons. One, if I told you that Jesus wasn't coming back to year 3,021, People would have a spiritual indifference and just say, I have plenty of time. I don't have to worry about it right now. Right? What's the point of me getting in a hurry when it's 3,021, it's 1,000 years away? I have plenty of time. And we still hear that excuse, right? Oh, I have time to get my life together. Bill and I talked about, uh, Bill Womple and I have talked about this. People, students always say, oh, I've got plenty of time to get my life together. I've got my whole life to get it together. And they have this spiritual indifference, when it comes to the day of the Lord, if we knew the date. Now, let me tell you this. What if I said, well, Jesus is actually coming back March 1st, 2021, which is tomorrow. We would all panic. We would all be in a scatter trying to get our friends to know Jesus, trying to get our family to know Jesus, trying to make sure we know Jesus. And we'd be panicked for the next 24 hours running around telling everyone about Jesus because Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And I don't think either one of those are healthy for us. And I think where we have to be is we have to be alert. And he gets to it in a minute. We have to be sober, be ready. Because here's the thing. No one knows the day or the hour when Jesus will come, but no one knows the day or the hour which you will go to Jesus. No one knows the day or the hour in which you will stand in front of Jesus after you pass away and, and you will be uh, standing in front of him for judgment. You, you don't know that. So what are we, we'll get to, but where were we? We, must, we must be sober. We must be ready. We must be alert and ready for this. Because he says that he'll come like a thief for the night. He'll come when we least expect. I'll tell you a story, in, in there was we went to a winter jam conference. Anybody ever went to winter jam, the tour where it's like fifteen bands, um, a speaker. I, students love them because it's it's ten bucks, it's cheap, and you get fifteen concerts and a speaker. And it's like, well, before COVID, it was like twenty thousand people in one building. And the, one year that we went. Uh, it was right after Ashley and I met. We went and we got on like the fourth row, and it was amazing. And there's a band called Red, which is like a, a Christian heavy rock group. You know, they cut, their intro comes out and there's big there's like six big fire uh, torches that go up, and like I could feel my beard like burning off my face, being 20 feet away. It was amazing. But it was that winter jam at a different one a couple years before that? And I was in high school, and we thought we're going to get there two hours early. We're going to get decent seats. We got there two hours early, and we were the nosebleed seats. I was so mad. I had to watch the jumbotron the whole time. It's awful. But we get there, and this and the, the speaker comes out. His name is Nick Hall. Nick Hall is absolutely phenomenal when it comes to reaching teenagers for the gospel. I mean, he is like the and he's like the Billy Graham of teenagers right now. Like he is, he has it down pat. God is using him through these movements. We went to one in 2016 at the National Mall lawn. There was 500,000 Christians for 12 hours of concerts. It was phenomenal. Great guy. He walks out and he shares. He he does his teaching. And it gets to the invitation part. And every time in the invitation, he says, do you know Jesus? And he asks for a salvation response. And people start raising their hand. People standing up. People are crying. Lives are being changed. He said, I want to talk to the people who think they still have time. He said, just last night, I've done this exact same message. And there was a group of teenagers on the fourth row, third row, whatever it was, right in front. And I saw her weeping and crying, this little girl. And she came forward to the altar, and these girls embraced her. And, they, and the youth pastor was weeping with her, and she was accepting Christ. He said, but on my way home that night, I got a phone call that she didn't make it home. That she was killed in a car accident. And he said, it doesn't, he said if that little girl still had the mindset when she left that I still have time, she would not be with Jesus. He said, So we can't say, no matter how old we are, that we still have time because no one knows the day or the hour in which we'll stand face to face with Jesus, whether he comes to us or we go to him. And that was a reality check for me because I was 15 years old probably, and I'm thinking, Oh, I know Jesus. I know he's calling me to ministry, but I was running the other direction. I didn't want to be in ministry. But we must be alert, That it says in verse 8, we must be sober, alert, and ready. Now, if we look at verse 7, it says, people who sleep, sleep at night, and people who are drunk, get drunk at night. And this is almost like a play on words, because it's not really talking about drinking and sleeping. The sleeping is that passive indifference we were just talking about that people would have if they know when Jesus was coming. It's, oh, I still have time. We're good. And getting drunk is living in active sin. And they do that in darkness at night because they try to cover it up. They try to make it feel like no one can see me if I do this. But it's active sin or it's spiritual indifference. And we've all, including myself, have been in one of those two categories at some point in our life. We've all either had active sin we've had to address or we've all had a spiritual indifference towards God like I'll get to him when I get to him. Am I right? We've all been there. But it says in verse 8, we must be sober. Sober-minded. We must be alert. We must be ready. Not in panic and not in spiritual indifference. But we must be ready. For the mark that God has for us. We must be ready for the next step. Whether it's going to Him, Him coming to us, or it might be just talking to someone about Him. We must be ready to go. Now, that was a lot. So let's let's go down a little bit. We're walking through this verse. So surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of day. We are not of the night or of darkness. In verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Let's talk about this for a minute. Pastor Chad did a phenomenal. If you've not heard it, go back and listen to it today. All of them, all seven weeks of his Armor of God study. It was Absolutely phenomenal. It's on the app, Awaken to Grace. Go there and understand what the breastplate was made of, understand what the helmet was, understand what the sword was, understand all of that. I don't have time to go into all of those, but let's talk about the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet for a hope of salvation. So, having put on anybody like love English class in high school? Like, anybody just like absolutely loved English? We're not friends. Not me. Didn't like it. Fell asleep every time. Now you take me to Harold's class when we're making like stuff like foam up and like blow up. That's what I'm talking about in, in science class. Right? English? I was out. I remember one thing we done in four years of English. One thing. And it was a movie. <laughs> I, I I wasn't I wasn't. I wasn't intrigued with English. I get to college thinking, "Oh, I'm gonna do religion. We're gonna study the Bible. I'm gonna get all this knowledge." And they made me put. put they, excuse me. They made me take English first. And I'm like, "Oh, really? English?" So apparently, I had to learn to become good at English to study the Bible. But when it says "having put on," What I like about this is it's not I did put on once. It's not I've done that years ago. It's not I've done that yesterday. It's having put on. It is a current action item. You are currently putting on this breastplate and this helmet. We are currently putting on the armor of God. It's not I did it once. It's not, I'll do it tomorrow. It's an, you have to actively do it every moment of your life. So what is this breastplate of faith and love? It's, it's, it's curious to me that he says faith and love in this breastplate. Because to me, that shows there's two parts of it, right? If there's faith and love, there has to be two components, so I'm diving into it. I'm going rabbit trail with this because that's, that's how my mind works. You can ask some of the guys from the men's Bible study. I'll rabbit trail and will be lost for an hour. It's how it works. But faith and love. See, faith is the outer part of the, of the breastplate. It's the hard surface. It's things that, that these fiery darts that Satan throws at us, it's the things that it bounces off of. But the love is the inner part. It's the cushion. It's the the one that makes it feel comfortable on your body. It's the love that you have for God. And then the hope of the helmet of salvation, that hope is in God's promises. But salvation isn't that one time I went to the altar and got saved. The hope for this salvation is the hope for future glorification when we come to know Jesus permanently in eternity. So we're sitting here and we're putting on this breastplate that has a hard outer shell to protect from the the fiery darts that Satan throws at us with the love on the inside that makes it comfortable for us to put on and then the hope for the promises that God has for us in eternity. And that's what he's talking about. Let's put all that on. So I'm thinking, faith, love, hope. I've heard that somewhere. Light bulb goes off, right? So I'm like, where have I heard that from? So then I go to 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where it says, Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So he's, he's, it's all connecting together. It's everything connects in the Bible with faith, hope, and love, and it all points to Jesus, and we, we can see this. So what happens when our faith becomes weak? What happens when that outer shell of our breastplate becomes weak and things begin to penetrate it? Well, naturally, naturally, the inner layer of love has to harden itself to protect those fiery darts from coming in, right? So the love that begins to harden itself, it grows cold, so then we don't show love anymore because our love is cold because it's having to protect ourselves from these fiery darts. But what happens when the when the armor gets when the love gets cold? We lose the hope of the helmet of salvation. So if you again, I'll do middle school and high school. So I like to leave them like with one phrase, one line, one sentence. This is what you need to take out of this. This is it. When faith is weak, love grows cold. When love grows cold, hope is lost. And when hope is lost, we are the most vulnerable to temptation and sin. I'll read it again. When faith is weak, love grows cold. When love grows cold, hope is lost. When hope is lost, we are most vulnerable to temptation and sin. My question is, where's your faith? Is it weak? Where's your love? Is it cold? And have you lost the hope in God's promises for your life? Some of us are saying, I've never had any of those. I've never had any of those three in my life. I've never even put on the armor of God for the first time. That may be your first step. But some of us, our faith may be weak. Some of us, our love may be cold. And some of us, we may have lost the hope in God's promises. So why does this all matter? How does all this play into encouraging one another? It's simple as this. Encouragement. If I encourage Caleb, what I'm doing is I am giving him the right tools to strengthen his faith. I'm giving him the right pieces of his armor to strengthen his faith. That way his love can become warm again and comfortable, and he can regain the hope and put on the helmet. So encouraging one another is not necessarily just making them smile. It's building up their faith so their love and hope can be restored as well. So why does it all matter? The Bible says this. In verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from, oh, sorry, that's chapter (laughs) 4. Chapter 5, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here it is. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So all of that. Therefore, again, another English thing that I'm not good at. But because of what the armor is, but because of what Jesus done for us, but because of everything that I just read, because of all of that, encourage one another. Build each other up, just as you are doing. So I want the definition of encourage. Encourage is to give support, confidence, or hope to someone. I don't know if you've ever been in the lo- like we've all been there, but I don't know if the lowest pit of your life in the deepest, darkest moments, if you remember those moments and you've got a car to say, hey, I'm thinking about you, a text message, says, I love you, some encouragement, hey, you, your hair looks good today. Some, any type of encouragement when you're in the lowest, deepest pit of your life, how much does that mean to you? How much does encouragement mean to you when you feel depressed? How much encouragement does it feel when you feel low? I'll tell you, if I'm being honest, I didn't even pick up on it until uh, Patty's story told me after the 9 o'clock service. I'm reading through this, and it talks about uh, then sudden destruction will come upon you as labor pains. Um, Most of you all know that we're like two, three weeks away at most from from our first child, and I didn't make the connection at all until Patty told me. Um, But my biggest fear like even when i was in high school even when i was younger like my biggest fear in life is being and i've shared with the guys is being in the delivery room and the doctor saying i'm sorry something went wrong you have to decide that terrifies me like there's nothing there's no there's no animal i'll go pet a lion And I know what they can do. I've seen it. I will go. I want my. I want to go do like the swamp people and hand fight the gators. That's what I'll I'll do. That sign me up. My biggest fear is making that decision. And what and what Patty said to me this morning was, "Did you plan that scripture because you're having a baby?" No. If I did, I would have probably chose chapter 4 when it didn't talk about labor pains, when he said encourage one another. (laughs) No, I didn't plan that. But she said, let me encourage you that you're a child of the day. Let me strengthen your armor a little bit and let you know that God's got this. That was the support. That was a little bit of confidence and hope restored to me, going into a season of the unknown for me. And it's all because she wanted to encourage one another. We may be in our deepest pit that we've ever been in in our life right now, and a little bit of encouragement can pull us out of it. And he said, continue to encourage just as you are. They're already doing that. As Christians, we should already be encouraging. But where we missed, where we missed the point, Corporate America Church has missed the point because we are so focused on ourselves and our own Christianity and our kids. We are so focused on our home that we've missed the point that we should be encouraging one another just as we should be. We've missed the point of saying, hey, I saw you when your husband's been working graveyard and you're still getting your kids to church. I saw you when your wife was out working. You're still doing Bible studies with your children. I've seen you make the effort. Let me encourage you a little bit. We've missed that. The corporate church has missed encouraging one another. And the missing link destroys the family of God that we've been studying. We've been all over the place today. But I want to challenge you with this. How do we practically encourage someone? Well, the first thing I would tell you to do is go to our Awakening to Grace app, click on the Family of God uh, image, and listen to the first four weeks. How do we love someone? That's encouraging. How do we serve someone? That's encouraging. How do we be kind to someone? Yeah, that's encouraging. How do we live in harmony with someone? Yeah, that's encouraging too. But the most practical way for us to encourage one another is using our words. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: the power of life and death is in the tongue. You encouraging someone can give them a new life, can strengthen their faith, just enough to pull them out of depression. But you not saying something, can be very detrimental to their faith. You saying the wrong things can destroy someone's faith. We must speak life. That's why we have the student conference. We're teaching people to students to speak life to one another, to speak life into their friends, speak life at home, because some of these kids don't have life at home. We as a church must speak life. Use words. One of the most forgotten methods in 2021, 2020, because of technology and social media, the most forgotten thing we do is verbal communication and handwritten notes. You would, every handwritten note we've ever received from anybody since we've been married. It's been almost three years. And every handwritten card we have outside of, outside of things like, you know, birthdays and stuff like that. But if it's just an encouragement card, if it's a thank you card, every one of them has been on our refrigerator since we've been, since we've been married. And it's simply because we know that when our lowest moments, we can go to that card and say, this person does care. This person was trying to build her faith. But encouragement's not a one-time thing. I can't say, Caleb, here's some encouragement and then just be done. It must be ongoing. So today, I'll ask you this. Have you ever even, first of all, put on this armor of God? Do you know Jesus? Or do you want to put that on for the first time today? if you want to put that on for the first time today, these altars are open, come. Maybe your faith is weak. Maybe your love has grown cold. Or maybe you've lost the hope in God's promises. And you want to come to this altar to get encouragement from the Holy Spirit first. Come do so. And maybe you feel like you're a terrible person because you don't encourage anybody. Ask God to help you with it. Ask God to show you ways to encourage. My challenge is this. You have two challenges this week. One, to find someone in your household, someone you live with, and encourage them. Hey, I saw you do the laundry. Thank you. Hey, I saw you wash dishes. Thank you. Hey, kids, I saw you clean your toys up. Thank you. Thank you for taking the trash out. Something simple like that. Hey, I saw you reading your Bible this week. Let's talk about it. And then find someone outside of your home, someone who doesn't live with you, and encourage them to. Hey, I saw the work you put in this week. I saw the extra stuff that you tried to get done. I see that. Let me help. So I'm going to pray. If you'll close your eyes and bow your heads with me, I'm going to pray. If you want to come up here for any reason, if you don't talk to me afterward, that's fine. If you want to put on that body armor for the first time, If you want to put on the armor of God for the first time, don't don't say, don't have the passive indifference to say, I have time. Have the urgency to be alert and ready today. If you have active sin, don't be a child of darkness anymore. Become a a child of light, child of the day. And maybe you just need encouragement. This altar is a place. So I'm going to pray right now. If you want to come forward, go ahead and come forward. God, thank you for... Thank you that we are children of the day. That in this time and season, you have a purpose for us and all things work out. And God, I pray that you'll just speak life into us from your spirit. God, let us put on the armor daily. Not once, not twice, not once a week, but daily. And God, if we've never, if there's someone here who's never put on the armor of God, do not let them leave with a spiritual indifference until they know you. Whatever reason, let them find us and know you a little deeper. Know you for the first time. And God, if our faith is weak, our love is cold, we've lost hope. Restore that through us, through your spirit, but also give us a family of God around us that will help us build our armor, strengthen our faith, strengthen our love, and remind us of your promises.